absurd. There's no reason why the individual mandate provision can't be struck down and keep all of the good provisions of the Affordable Care Act. There's two different senators right there on the talk shows over the weekend with different opinions of the Obamacare ruling that came down on Friday. One calling it absurd and then Susan Collins saying, well, why can't we keep the good parts even if the other part doesn't make sense? I don't know. Well, the thing's been, whoops, hello. It's been so dissected and, and, and parted out and sewn back together, and it's just so ridiculous at this point. I was surprised there were even judges even looking at it. Yeah, I didn't realize, um, I saw an old clip of when the uh, the ruling finally came out from SCOTUS, and old Justice Roberts said, it's a tax. That was six and a half years ago. So if you're a, yeah, I know. So if you're a 30-year-old, Obamacare's been your insurance your entire life. Um, and, you know, so we're getting pretty far into this is just what the world is. It's, you know, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> if you're maybe a little older, it still seems more recent and we can still fight back. But it has been the thing for quite a while now. And we had uh, Craig Gottwalls on our Obamacare lawyer just talking about this stuff last week. But, Craig, welcome to the show. There's been a development since you came on. This judge came out and said, no, 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 you can't do that. It's against the law. Where are we now, Craig? Yeah, well, well we're, we're still with Obamacare for, the, for at least the foreseeable future. And so, so this uh, ruling doesn't shut it down? No, the Fifth Circuit will it, it'll almost certainly be appealed to the Fifth Circuit, and uh, unless the Supreme Court reaches down and just takes it, um, but I, I still think we're we're a good six months minimum, probably a year or more before we kind of find out where this ruling puts us. So, what the judge say? Well, it's it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting argument, honestly. Um, it, so, in two thousand, the, the issue at hand is. Is the individual mandate so interwoven into the fabric of Obamacare that without the individual mandate, the law cannot stand? And there is a a judicial restraint principle here. There's a legal principle at play that says, look, when when a court is, is looking at a law, the court must do absolutely everything possible to allow the law to stand. So if the court goes in and finds one portion of the law to be invalid, um, the tie goes to the law, in effect. In other words, the court's going to bend over backwards to allow the law to stand. So you have to look and say, is is the individual mandate so essential and inseverable that Obamacare would not exist without it? So in the argument for that, in the argument that essentially the judge bought, uh, you have, well, in 2010, Congress wrote the law and the president signed it with the individual mandate, clearly teasing out that the law cannot stand without a requirement to buy health insurance. And furthermore, in 2012, uh, people supporting the law and the Supreme Court bought that argument, saying, look, this, this law has to have this to operate to fund it. So otherwise, otherwise everything that was said about the financial part of it was a lie. That's right. That's right. And astute listeners to the Armstrong and Getty show know that everything about it has been a financial lie since 2009. <laughs> but... So, so on the on the flip side of it, the argument that no, the individual mandate is not essential, is the facts themselves. Remember, we talked about the fact that 
getting out of the individual mandate was actually super easy. At one point, they had 32 different exceptions to the individual mandate. And something like and only, no and no way to verify whether you were lying or not. So it didn't even matter right. if you actually you, did qualify. You could say things like I couldn't figure out the website or I had a family emergency, and then you wouldn't have to buy insurance. So, mm-hmm. so that that weighs heavily in the people that think this ruling will be overturned. Is they say, well, clearly, clearly this was not necessary because, in, in point of fact. 99% of Americans could get themselves out of this law with just a simple IQ test, effectively. And then, <laughs> more importantly, more importantly, there's an argument to say, well, look, in 2017, Congress went in and looked at this and said, look, the individual mandates turned out to be so ineffective, we're going we're gonna to reduce the fine on it down to zero and because it's so unimportant. But then when Congress did that, Congress didn't, in fact, overturn the whole law. So that's the argument that that's the argument that this ruling will be overturned, that the individual mandate really isn't essential because guess what? It all kind of was a financial lie, and this is just going to be a big welfare program for the rest of our lives. Yeah, well, that is clearly the truth. That'll be a bit of a bitter, you know, uh, happy ruling to take. But that's well, that's been infinitely clear to most of us for a very long time. And I guess we'll right. just enshrine it now. Well, you and I were discussing this over the weekend, so how many people have... Uh, been insured by Obamacare. That was the point, right? All these poor people out here that, that out there in the country that didn't have insurance, they're being screwed. We need this system, Obamacare, to take care of them. How many people have been taken care of in all these years and at what cost? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so important to keep in mind. Look, it's still sitting right around 20 um, million people. And in, in a country of 340 million, 20 million in, people in have been... Million. But, but also, remember, more importantly... Um, more than half of that are are people that simply have just been pushed onto Medicaid because the Medicaid roles were expanded under Obamacare. And then roughly just under 10 million of those people are people that are actually buying subsidized policies in the Obamacare marketplaces. So, so 10 really, million people in the entire country are buying yeah, Obamacare yeah. on the exchanges. That's, That's amazing. Right. And, 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 and of those 10 million, Jack, more than 80% of them get taxpayer dollars to do it. So you're talking about like 2 million or less people that actually pay their own money to buy Obamacare policies. You know, if America wanted that, uh, that's the sort of thing we vote on. If you want, you know, uh, government programs for everybody and everything to run through the government, I think it's a nightmare, but we could vote for that. What bothers me, and it reminds me so much of the bull spit train in California or whatever, is you just have to bamboozle the folks long enough to get a vote through whether it's on election day or in Congress or, or what have you. And then you can literally do anything. You can change everything. You can keep all the, the plums and remove all the here's where you got to pays. You've got to alter. You can alter right. everything. So right. it bears no resemblance it's to like, what was discussed. It's that book we've been talking about, The High Cost of Good Intentions. Somebody comes up with a good-sounding idea, and then once it's in place, like you were just saying, Anything's a fair game, apparently. And we all made a big deal over the fact that Obamacare was 2,400 pages. You know, somebody printed it out and slapped it down to the desk. Look at what Obamacare is, 2,400 pages, and nobody's read it. It now is, according to Craig, 40,000 pages, if you include the regulations. That's incredible. Yep, and the and the best projections are that it will be between like 80 and 120,000 pages when it's all said and done, because they're not done yet writing all those regulations that will be needed, unless they, of course, overturn it. But it's important to remember, 
uh, one of the sound clips you played, uh, I think, was Susan Collins saying, well, why don't we just keep the parts we like? Well, at this point, you might as well. I mean, you might as well keep the Medicaid expansion. Boom, that's half of Obamacare there. Simple, easy, and that's actually much cheaper than Obamacare itself, the exchanges. And keep some of these things you like and have... This thing was supposed to cost $1 trillion over 10 years. We're already up to just under $2 trillion over 10 years. So it's, it's already baked into the cake, guys. It's a big welfare program. It's going to cost us a bunch of money. You, you might as well just get rid of the parts that don't work and keep the parts that work. And I mean, wow. 20 plus 20 something trillion in debt anyway. What is another two trillion? I mean, that's <laughs> so, the logic. The, the, but so, yeah, well, every time I hear a politician say people like the, um, uh, what do you call it? The pre existing conditions part. Well, yeah, I like it too, but I don't understand how sure. the math works on it. If you make insurance companies take people that are going to cost them a million dollars the first year they sign up, how does that work for the insurance company? But nobody cares about the paying for it part. No, I, I like eating donuts and losing weight too. I mean, I like that. It yeah, let's keep work. the part we like, the eating donuts. And uh, just ignore the gaining weight part. It's a pretty good analogy. Craig Gottwalls is online. Craig, the Obamacare lawyer, longtime authority on uh, Obamacare and matters uh, insurance and benefits. So, Craig, I've got this mental image for myself. It was an episode of The, the Simpsons where uh, Homer d- was going to build a, what was it, a doghouse, I think, and decided not to read the <laughs> rules and uh, or the uh, the directions, rather. And he ends up with this bizarre, it looked like a piece of modern art, you know, twisted hunk of of bizarro construction and and that doghouse is what obamacare is at this point it has very little resemblance to what it was intended to be it's a structure nobody would build at this point and so i find myself wondering well why can't the great minds of america get together and just come up with plan c and just figure out what we want, and, and listen, it's going to move us down the road of socialism. I, I hate it, but I just don't think there's the will, the electoral will, to do much about it. But the fact that we can't recognize, okay, we've built a dangerous, ugly mess of a doghouse. Got to tear it down and try again. But that just shows you how dysfunctional the government is. No, your 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 your, your analogy is great. Your your visual imagery there, Joe. It's absolutely accurate. It's this thing is nowhere near what we thought um, when they wrote it and, and passed it into law. And I would just add to the fact that it's a governmental mess. That it is a insurance companies are not free of blame here. These these giant insurers are incredibly powerful. Remember, they are you know a, a massive chunk of our economy, and they fought tooth and nail to to create this thing in such a way that they could remain profitable for the most part. And they have. They've all profited very nicely, doing much better than, say, the S&P 500 since the passage of Obamacare. So what I'm trying to say is you have this this unholy, um, these goals that come in where people want some sort of socialized medicine, but insurance companies still want to remain incredibly profitable. And you've got that that nasty alliance that occurs between government and big, big business, not a free market, but an oligopoly at best, because we've right. only got about five insurers nationwide. And you end up with this this, this unholy nightmare of, 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 of a mess where it's costing us twice as much as it should, and we're covering probably a third as many people as we should. Yeah, well, I, just, I just wonder, I know it's getting more popular in the polls, Obamacare, but I, I wonder how many people feel like health care is better since Obamacare went in as opposed to this worse. I just we were talking about deductibles last week. 
Uh, I know my oh. deductible is insane compared to what it used to be. What was that stat you had on what it is, the averages now versus years ago? Oh, yeah, the average just one decade ago was about $300. For a deductible uh, per, for a family. family. Yeah, and now it's over 1500 per family is the average. Just 10 years ago, the average deductible for a family of four was 300 bucks. Yeah. It's the Affordable so it's Care Act, five. everybody. Affordable. Ah. Jack's point is great because nobody, I mean, no, the only people, the only people that think healthcare is better now than it was 10 years ago are these uh, 20 million people that didn't have coverage that got it. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the of the 320 million people in America answer no to that question. I'll tell you what was, a, I'll tell you what was a political mistake was for the uh, Republicans to start calling it Obamacare, thinking they would hang it around his neck. I think what has happened in effect is, because Obama is pretty popular, is now people, you know, they attach yeah. Barack Obama in their mind to this, and, he, and, and he's got like 60% approval. So I think just one of your vote, do you like Obamacare? I, I like Obama. I'll check yes on that, as opposed to your current health care. I, really, I think that might be what's happening. Hey, Craig, can we get back to the, you were describing the unholy, relationship between big government and big business because when you vote in big government my friends uh, on the hilarious promise that it's going to serve you and it ends up serving the powerful uh, let's talk about how that actually works so you got the as Jack described you have insurance companies being forced to pay for uh, for everybody including the uh, virtually uninsurable now sure, that would wreck them that would ruin them how are they getting paid to the extent that they're uh, still super, super profitable. The insurance companies? Yeah. How do they get oh, paid? <laughs> they're getting paid higher premiums because they are allowed to increase premiums, not based upon your individual health status, but based upon a whole bunch of other metrics that they use as a proxy for that, like your age, your zip code, the plan you buy, etc. And so they can inflate these premiums at astronomical levels and then when people can't pay those premiums, well, the government steps in to make the insurance companies whole. So like we talked about early in this segment, 80% of people that are, quote, buying, unquote, Obamacare exchange plans are doing it with federal tax dollars. So, yeah, we just, we just jack up premiums 6 to 26% every single year, depending upon your state. And if you can't pay it, hey, no worry. Your, your brother and friends down the street, the taxpayer will pay it for you. So to put it, companies are being made whole left and right. To put it in terms people can understand, you walk into a restaurant, you order a steak, and the waiter says, yeah, the steak's $350. And Uncle Sam steps up to the table and says, Nah, 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 you'll you'll pay the usual thirty five bucks. I'll get the rest of it. Don't worry. Enjoy your steak. And then Uncle Sam and the waiter go to the back room and they laugh because Uncle Sam's paying off the waiter, and the waiter right. says, "Don't worry, waiters will always vote for your for you and your party. Think Don't worry, college, we got this." Think, think college tuition. Right, right, and it's all paid by the taxpayer. It's that unholy, hogs-in-a-trough, rent-seeking relationship between big government and big business. Hey, the biggest, the biggest four publicly traded insurers, guys, the S&P 500 is up 136% since the day Obamacare, Obamacare was signed into law in 2010. Anthem Blue Cross up 367%. Cigna up 450%. Wow. Aetna up 540%. Wow. United Healthcare up 740%. These companies are tripling at a minimum the S&P 500 since the passage of this law. And part of the way Obamacare was sold to us is these evil insurance companies have been getting away with murder and they're not going to anymore. We'll bring them to heel. Yeah, right.
That's yeah, something. right. Yeah, keep voting for rosy-sounding giant government programs and assuming they're there for you. Keep voting for that. Uh, Craig Gottwalls, appreciate you. Appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, we yeah. got to run, but uh, that's that's good stuff right there. Thanks, Craig. Craig Craig knows his, his his numbers back and forth on this, but you know, I I have a pre-existing condition. I would not be able to get health insurance back in the day um, if I lost mine here at work. So I'm sympathetic to that whole thing, but I just don't understand how you make it work. You know, if it were a free market world, which it's not, that's the whole problem here. Uh, if you force everybody to uh, to take me. Well, listen, and so they eliminated the way to pay for it. Well, what bothers me about the whole thing is, and, and I'm going to use another metaphor because it helps me understand the world. If you, you know, were planning this incredibly expensive vacation to Hawaii, and your spouse kept saying, "Let's not call it a vacation to Hawaii. Let's call it medical research in Colorado," <laughs> and, and you thought, "Well, that's odd, but okay," and you just went along with it for a while, and. Before you knew it, you're like filling out forms and writing letters to people about your medical research in Colorado and the rest. And you realize, wait, there's some fraud going on. What bothers me is that we've gone so far afield in in every single possible way from what we said we were hoping to achieve and how we said we were going to pay for it. So are there legitimate uh, needs in in society. Maybe you think government ought to step in. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you don't. Uh, are there people who need insurance can't get it? Are there people with pre-existing conditions who we feel compassion for and say, okay, as taxpayers, we're okay uh, kicking in? There are all sorts of really good, simple, fundamental questions we could be asking and answering, but we're not asking those questions and we're not answering them. We're talking about this, you know, talking unicorn that is Obamacare that doesn't exist. It's a it's a phantom. It's a figment. Well, it's a failure unless the original goal was to get us all to throw up our hands and say yes to government-run health care, which I think might have been the point. Right. And might be where, and not might be, is where we're headed. Um, good stuff there. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, we got a text that said, apparently one of the side effects of Norco is excessive metaphor use. <laughs> you don't think that's funny? Uh, Joe's no longer with us. That's too bad he's passed away. I uh, hope not. Um, got Marshall coming in in just a second. We just uh, did a long segment about the Obamacare thing. I don't even know why I talk about that. Every time we talk about that subject, I just get so unhappy about the future of the country. Maybe I should stop talking about it. And I do think that judge on Friday is going to be overturned. A lot of legal experts seem to, to think that's the case. And I'm not sure it would make that much difference anyway. Because um, as we were just talking about, we're so far down the road of all this being intertwined with everything. We're, we're into a different world from where we started anyway. What's coming up in your news? Marshall Phillips, can you tell us? Well, we got Comey behind closed doors once again. He is testifying in the battle over the uh, border wall. Man, oh man, both sides really digging in their heels. Comey's behind closed doors right now? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. That's unexpected. Um, so I've got all that coming up. Top 10 songs of the year as a bunch of end of the year lists are being compiled. We can hit you with some of those. I always like that at the end of the year. What was the top 10 movies? What was the top 10 this? What was the top 10 sure. Among other things on the way. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
Is the jig up for all these companies that have been shipping opioids around the country and getting rich off of them? Might be. Also, vaping is beginning to be a problem it seems like I should pay attention to. And uh, is there anybody who watched Miley Cyrus on Saturday Night Live who was not wondering what's keeping her jacket from flying open and showing us her boobs? No, my. And she was completely shirtless and wearing like a suit jacket that was just hanging open. And she kept whirling around and it would like flop in the wind and you'd think, oh, here it goes. No. (laughs) And it was, uh, and I wondered if other people were thinking the same thing. Apparently there was a lot of internet speculation. Miley Cyrus's nipples are holding on to that jacket in the way my soul is holding on to my sanity. Also, (laughs) barely. I I have never trusted anything in my life as much as Miley Cyrus is trusting that double-sided tape. (laughs) We can post a picture of it at armstrongandgetty.com. You do look at it and think, there's no way that's going to work. And it did. You know, I've seen plenty of them, Jack. And I've actually seen hers plenty of times. Uh, So it's uh, merely a question of, uh, you know, sartorial engineering. Yeah, I'm I'm a grown-up enough that, you know, big deal. I don't need that in my life or I'm not going to go crazy if I saw it. But I was wondering. What's holding her jacket in place? <laughs> uh, let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Uh, former FBI Director James Comey is being questioned again about his handling of the Hillary, Hillary Clinton email investigation and the early stages of the Russia probe. Comey, behind closed doors with some members of the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees. After he arrived at the Capitol today, Comey did not respond to the shouted questions from reporters. But before Did he have his head up like this? Kind of looking far off into the distance because he's above it all, because that's the James Comey look. Look at me! Before the meetings began, Ohio Republican Representative Jim Jordan said he hopes to get some more answers out of Comey this time around. Last time, he 245 times, he said he didn't know, couldn't remember, so we hope he answers more questions. I think I'm going to ask him about the Comey memos. You know, he did seven different memos back when he was meeting with the president, meeting with the chief of staff. So I'm going to ask him questions about things he wrote in there. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of what comes out of the transcripts this time around. I thought his admission over the weekend that he sent those agents to question Flynn, Flynn uh, and it's something he wouldn't have done in other administrations, but he thought he could get away with it here. I couldn't believe the crowd cheered that. To me, that was an admission of, I thought I could get away with something I shouldn't do, so I did it. That's the, not the way you're supposed to look at law enforcement. Right? Unless you see them as entirely bad guys. I guess. I guess if you went and he he finds himself or feels he's in the role of standing up for what is good for America. He's right. the only one protecting us from what is wrong in America. Well, James Comey, whose body language, as you said, he every moment he looks like he's posing for a marble statue <laughs> to be cut of him. Um, it, 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 he and so many people like him conveniently forget virtually every moment that they're discussing this stuff that. Donald Trump won the election legitimately through our system. He got elected and a hell of a lot of people wanted him to win and a hell of a lot of people are still happy about it. But they move in circles that are entirely 100 percent. He's a fiend. It was an aberration. It shouldn't have happened. I can't believe it happened. Um, it was a nightmare. And, and so he, he feels no need whatsoever to even tip his cap to the idea that, well, this is a legitimately elected new administration, and I owed them the courtesy of saying, you know, this could get hairy, so you might want to have some lawyers present. I I do think we all should learn from the way Comey and others have handled this situation. If you're ever questioned by the IRS or anybody else, say you don't remember. That's a, apparently a perfectly okay answer. Or gets you out of a lot of trouble. Don't scramble to try to come up with an answer that may or may not be right. Say, I don't remember. Right. 
The continued battle over a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border could bring a partial government shutdown at midnight Friday. Let me emphasize partial shutdown. Despite resistance from both parties on Capitol Hill, the White House is insisting that Congress provide $5 billion to build the wall. White House Senior Advisor uh, Stephen Murray or uh, Miller on Sunday. We're going to do whatever is necessary to build the border wall to stop this ongoing crisis of illegal immigration. There's resistance from both major political parties on Capitol Hill, and the continued fight again could lead to a partial government showdown at midnight on Friday. No, no mention of the clearly sprayed-on hair that Stephen Miller had on his... So I... Uh, can I see that? Do you have that picture handy yeah, again? Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah, there is some... I mean, you know, we, we try to traffic in the substance of these conversations and right. the appearances, but in this particular case, it would seem that he painted on some hair. <laughs> On the top of his head. Paint your bald spot. Have you seen that picture, Joe? <laughs> uh, I have not, although, again, it's... Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, my interest is in oh, policy yeah. and what's good for the body politic. We've got it up on the computer screen right now. That is clearly painted on hair. In the days of pre-high def, you may have gotten away with yeah, that. Yeah, like that, I think I think you're right, Sean. That is a... Somebody went with a, a maneuver that would have worked pre-HD. Yeah, yeah. But that... <laughs> That is, a, that is a bald man. I'm speaking as a bald man who painted hair on the front of his head. Hey, yeah, beautiful hair. No, no, he had fake-looking hair. <laughs> now, Jack, you uh, you mentioned this uh, early on right before the newscast about teen vaping. Teen vaping is indeed on the rise. I'm Alcohol. starting to think this is something I need to pay attention to. Alcohol and opioid use continue to decline among teenagers. An annual uh, survey titled Monitoring the Future found the use of electronic cigarettes, hookah, or similar devices is the second most common form of substance abuse behind consuming or drinking alcohol. I just, I just don't want you know my kids getting hooked on nicotine because you know and others know right. how difficult it is to quit. And now oh, yeah. one in five high school seniors have vaped in the last month. Um, twice as much as last year. It's the largest one-year increase of any substance that they've seen in maybe forever, maybe ever. Yeah, and the FDA is working hard trying to curb underage vaping by restricting the sale of the sweet-flavored electronic cigarette liquids, Mm -hmm. which is what a lot of the uh, younger folk are uh, getting into. That's a look at your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. You got uh, kids that are growing up enough to do this. Is vaping a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whether, you know, there are people who are trying to quit smoking or people who just like the nicotine hit or people who are vaping uh, various uh, pot oils and vapors and whatever. And, yeah, it's it's absolutely a thing. And, you know, it's it's funny. I have mixed feelings on it because if you're trying to quit smoking, then vape away. Sure. It's, it's much better for you than smoking. Um, and really, you know, it's 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 not better than not doing anything. But if you insist on having THC in your bloodstream, avoid the smoke and the burning and the you know the, the carcinogens and the rest of it. I don't now youngsters doing it and using it to take in substances in the lungs, yeah, chemicals. I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm I'm not quite as aghast as some people seem to be. Are you better off that your your high school senior is vaping uh, pot or nicotine? Seems like from a what's going to kill you over your length of your life, getting hooked on nicotine would be worse. If if they start smoking, 
You know what I Which don't know? Which often happens know. if you start smoking. Well, right. specifically a high schooler, I think there's still some brain development. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Yet. No, marijuana is oh, bad for you. And, but, that, oh, yeah. and I don't know if nicotine affects that. I think that's a, it's oh, it an won't. addiction that you might it, have to deal won't. with. I think starting the other thing too early can really put some cognitive uh, hurdles in your way. Yeah, but now you could, you know, you, you you catch your kids smoking pot. You can explain to them why they should stop. If you're hooked on nicotine, yeah, you can explain all you want. It's gonna yeah. be hard to quit. Yep. Here's here's a question for you, and I don't know very much about this at all. If you are vaping nicotine, um, you're not burning anything. You're not taking smoke into your lungs. You're not uh, having any of those horrendous chemicals that the tobacco companies put in tobacco and continue to. Um, can you vape nicotine safely? Over an extended period, what does that do to you? I don't have any idea. The, the, the shortest answer is we don't have a long enough time frame to really know what those right. are. I can believe that. Right. And there are chemicals. Can we make hasty guesses, Positive <laughs> Sean? There are chemicals in uh, some of the liquids, and, you know, they uh, look at uh, what is going into some of those chemicals that are flavoring, you know, the smoke, yeah. and there are some problems there. <laughs> Huh. And it can simultaneously be less dangerous than cigarettes and far from safe. Yeah. Well, yeah, no yeah, yeah. doubt about that, as cigarettes are one of the worst things you can possibly do in your life. Right, right. Just as a, a liberty-loving guy, I see anybody taking pleasure in anything being immediately the subject of uh, you know, government regulation, or should we be regulating this, or should we be outlawing it? Whereas I come at it, you know, you got to give me a compelling reason for me to care. Otherwise, it's just people doing what they want to do. I'm not talking about kids. That's yeah. a different topic. Yeah, all these stats we we're talking about are people under 18. Yep. They don't get to make their own decision, at least not in my house. They're not. <laughs> Nor should they be heard. They should be seen, not heard. Um, a couple of other things to catch you up on from the weekend coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Of the nation.